This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Jake, Carlson, Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. With me, as always, to help you through these harrowing fantasy hockey playoffs, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It is harrowing. It's so harrowing. If you just search like fantasy hockey right now on Twitter, you'll see so many people uh, hate fantasy hockey, uh, need this. I feel... Like, I'm as harrowed as anyone right now. I am in that precarious position where I need the Colorado Avalanche to score goals. And even if they won, that would be great. But just just to score goals, that's all I need tonight against Scott Darling and the Chicago Blackhawks. And I feel I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just looking forward to this week's show. Are you worried about jinxing things, Brian? Yeah, it is an intense week. Actually, not for me. I'm feeling pretty good at this point. I'm going to make it through in both of the leagues that I'm in. One league where I am against Brian and one league where we own a team together. So the league where we own a team together, we destroyed our matchup. We're going to go into the semifinals. Uh, The one where we're against each other, it looks like if you win and if I win, we're going to be playing each other next week, which is going to be so much fun. I can't wait for that. But okay, no one's here to listen about our fantasy hockey struggles. Everyone's focused on their fantasy hockey struggles. So we have got a big show for you today. We're going to talk about all the players that we think it's time for you to just get rid of. You don't have time to wait for them. We're going to talk about guys that maybe you want to look at as spot start replacements, maybe people who we think could even be better than that. We've got a huge slew, a big list of players ready for you. So we are going to get right to it. But before we do, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com and they are right here with us to help you through your fantasy hockey playoffs. You've got the daily ramblings every day, which you've got to read. If they say drop this guy, they're probably right. Also, you've got to use their tools, line combos, starting goalies. I subscribe to the goalie notifications on goalie posts. Like basically I get a notification for every single starting goalie as it's announced. It's important. What if I wasn't thinking of grabbing a backup spot start, but then I get the notification. I think, oh, Maybe Darling would be a good start today against Colorado, even though right now Colorado's winning 2-1, to one, so who would have known? But anyway, it's a great site. Check it out, DauberHockey.com. Yeah, everything you need is there to prepare for your stretch run. If you're already out, you can already look at top keeper rankings to see how to prepare better for next year. What more can I say? We researched this show, too, over at DauberHockey.com. 
Let's start the show with some injuries. We've got, you know, not a big name, but maybe a big impact, or at least an impact that might help you in your playoffs. So Artem Anisimov, he went down in a game against the Montreal Canadiens. He's out three to four weeks with a lower body injury and thus ends a really great season for Artem Anisimov. He's 28 years old, and he had his basically his best season of his career, 45 points in 64 games, which would have been a career-high 58-point pace if he had played the whole season. Who knows if he actually would have gotten 58 points, but that's the pace. Last year, he only had 42 points in 77 games, even though he was on that same line with Panarin and Kane. And I remember going to this year, Brian was saying, and I think you you held steady with this opinion all throughout this season, that he was there last year and he couldn't do anything. So if he's doing better now, we can't expect it to keep up. But, you know, he kind of kept it up, like a really good season. Maybe, I'm not saying you were wrong, Brian, but Anissimov, let's give him some credit. A really great year, taking advantage of these great line mates. Anyway, now he is... Injured, he's done. We could talk in the summer series about what we think about him for next year in the draft. We've, of course, got to talk about the important news here, which is that this leaves a void on this amazing line with Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin, and someone is going to get to center these two amazing wingers. And the winner so far has been a player who has one of Brian's favorite names to say, Nick Schmaltz. Nick Schmaltz. But first, Elon, Artem Anisimov, you were asking, was Brian wrong about him. Uh, clearly, yes. Clearly, Brian did not predict a 58-point pace from Artem Anisimov, and we will get into it more in the summer series, but I prepared to talk about him right now, so let's not gloss right over him. He has 14 goals at even strength this year. That's the second highest total in his career, and he did that while playing 100, 200 minutes less than he has in the past. The really striking thing, though, is that he also took fewer shots to get those 14 goals. 14 goals on 72 shots equals a shooting percentage that's a smidge below 20% at even strength. And his shooting percentage as a whole has risen since coming to Chicago, in part because of some extra power play usage and success compared to his prior roles in Columbus and New York. But this shooting percentage bump specifically at even strength for Anisimov makes me think he's not bound to continue scoring at a 28-goal pace for the rest of, well, I don't know, for the next couple of years. I think he's more likely to score 15 or 20 goals, especially as he nears 30. And that takes him right back down to a 45-ish point pace, maybe 50-point pace, where I still stubbornly have him and will continue having him when he comes back to play next year. Brian, Anisimov is one of your like prime examples of like your sort of hipsterism when it comes to fantasy hockey because you used to love him when he was back in Columbus. You were like, oh, guys, you should check out this Anisimov. He's looking like a really good pickup. Then he went to Chicago, got on a really good line, and he's doing well now. And now you're saying, ah, forget about him. Overrated. No, he had better potential on Columbus. Like they were using him in a different way. And like I said, like Chicago is using him a little more on the power play than he ever was used in Columbus. I'm not saying I only liked him before he was cool, Elon, if that's what you're getting at here. I I did like what he had to offer as like depth contribution, but anyone who sees him as anything above a 50-point player in Chicago, I why do you have to make me feel... uh, feel like I'm a bad guy for saying that. I know I've been stubborn about it. I do. I know I have, but I still contend that in the long run, I'll be right, especially when he's 35 years old. No way he'll score on a 58-point pace then. Okay, I'm just yanking your chain. It's, it's good advice. You know, that's the idea. There's going to be a lot of players that overperformed this year, and people are going to be wondering, should they draft them according to their numbers this year or their career numbers? And obviously, you're giving good reasons why it should be lower. I'm, I'm just joking. That's okay. Let's go back to talk about Nick Schmaltz so you could be a wet blanket again about him. So I'm excited about him, right? Because he's playing with Panarin and Kane. He got an assist in the game where Anisimov was injured against the Habs, but then nothing in the two games 
Uh, after that, though, Chicago is playing today against Colorado, and it's 2-1 to one for Colorado, and Chicago's goal scored by Patrick Kane, assisted by Nick Schmaltz and Artemi Panarin. So obviously, he's right there on this line still, and he has the potential to get a lot of points. The question is, is he going to be like a 40, 50-point guy, like a point every half a game? Or can we maybe expect any more from him? Do you like him better than Anisimov in the same spot? Overall, Schmaltz hasn't had a great year, right? Going into today, 20 points in 50 games and only one assist and zero goals in his last six games. But, you know, before that last six games, though, he did have a really good run where he put up three goals and nine assists in nine games. That was when Jonathan Taves was getting a million points every day and he was playing right along with him. So he has shown that he has the potential to go on scoring runs if he has the right line mates. He definitely does have the right line mates right now. So I'm curious to know if you see Schmaltz as just a 45, 50 point guy, or maybe even that's too high for him, or could he do even better? Like, you know, obviously we're only looking at the next couple of weeks. Chicago only plays three times next week. So you got to look into the schedule in terms of if you're thinking of adding him, but I'm curious to get to know your general thoughts on when Schmaltz and Chicago plays. What do you think he can give us? I can get comfortable with the idea that he's going to give you about what Anisimov gave you when he was in that spot. I don't know that Schmaltz is any more talented. I know he's less experienced has less experience playing with these particular players. I think Anisimov did a very good job of knowing the strengths of Kane and Panarin and knowing how to play along with them. Uh, But I do think Schmaltz being here, it makes him for sure a little more interesting as a spot start. One issue in spotting him, though, is that he's often had one or no shots on goal. So if he doesn't get a point, then he's not helping you any other way. Early returns on his shooting with this line, though, five shots in two games. So maybe you don't have to worry about it. It is something to consider, though. Still, I'm not convinced that it's going to continue that way. In fact, I don't know how it's going to continue. So let's see how those shot rates go while he's playing with those two guys. Another thing to consider, Elon, there's no notable uptick in power play time for Schmaltz. He's still on that second unit. So his scoring upside certainly rises at even strength, but it goes nowhere on the power play, which of course is where we can find a lot of extra value from those guys in free agency if they are getting somehow cycled up to that top unit. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, so let's just all say we're going to add Schmaltz firmly to our watch lists, and maybe you could add him depending on the depth of your league and your schedule and things like that. But I think he could be as good as Anisimov. Obviously, no shots on goal hurts him a little bit. Maybe he could keep that uptick going. Okay, so since Schmaltz is now up playing with Kane and Panarin, that leaves an open spot with Jonathan Taves. So, you know, these injuries, they really cycle down the lineup. And who does that leave Jonathan Taves to play with? Well, he's, of course, got his trusty left wing, Richard Panic, And he's now playing with someone I had never heard of until yesterday when he scored his first career goal in his second ever game, a guy named John Hayden. So, Brian, like, Hayden interests me because not only did he score that goal, but he had four shots and seven hits yesterday. So this guy's looking like he could be a bangers and mash sweetheart to people who need someone who could give them potentially some points and also peripherals. What is the deal with John Hayden? Like, literally, I'm asking you, who is he? Where did he come from? And is he any good? Does he have offensive potential, especially if he's playing on a line with Jonathan Taves and Richard Panic? Well, I can tell you that the Chicago Blackhawks broadcast team was absolutely in love with him. I guess they had nothing else to talk about. I felt like they brought him up as the rookie, the newest member of Chicago Blackhawks, so many times on that broadcast. And then he didn't do anything that game. He had maybe one quality chance. But then, as you said, Elon, he showed up a little more on the score sheet in his second outing. He's just the latest rookie in the parade that Chicago trots out to step in and be a reasonable piece of their regular forward core. Uh, Hayden just finished his final year playing with Yale, like just just finished it weeks ago. He was a point-per-game player there this season. He went in the middle of the third round back in 2013. He's 22 years old now. This is his first pro experience, and he seems to fit the bill 
of what Chicago likes to see from these guys that they parachute into their lineup, get in there, throw some hits, take some shots. Other than that, I don't know there's a whole lot to know about him yet. As somebody who came from Yale, I can imagine he's very into, no, I'm just joking, but coming out of college or the division of college that he played in, I'm not sure he'll have any serious offensive upside, but I think the Chicago Blackhawks would love if he was like just a guy who could be in their lineup, one of those several anonymous names that they have to have in there because of their cap issues, much like the LA Kings. Okay, well, keep them in mind, if you're in a league where hits are counted, and let's say late in the week, you need some hits and some potential for points. He already has two hits today, and we're only halfway through the game against Colorado, though you know my stance on trusting any stats against the Colorado Avalanche, but we'll get to them a little later in the show. Uh, Also news out of Chicago, Marion Hossa missed his second straight game today with a lower body injury, but he's been in the bottom six for a while, and he only has two points in his last eight games, so he's a total snoozer. If you had him in your roster uh, going into today and you're disappointed about him still being injured, it's like, why do you even have him? I guess you're must be in a very, very deep league. Forget about him. I also want to mention that backup goalie Scott Darling was out for a couple weeks with a hand injury, but he's back and he played on Thursday and picked up a 2-1 win versus Ottawa, making 33 saves. And that gave him five straight wins with a 938 save percentage in one of those wins and then over 962 in the other four. So Scott Darling has been amazing, looking like a primo spot start today against Colorado, but actually, like I said, Colorado's winning 2-1, to one, so maybe people are getting burned by him a little bit today. We'll see how the rest of the game goes. But, I mean, we got to give some credit to Scott Darling here. I know we've thrown this moniker around of being the best spot start or best backup goalie around. Like, we've thrown that around a lot this year. We've mentioned Grubauer, Aaron Dell, but maybe Darling is actually the winner here. It would be cool if the NHL had, like, sort of a backup Vesna trophy of who's the best backup goalie in the league. That would be a really fun discussion to have. Anyways, Chicago plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, the week after. So no back-to-back games. I wonder if Darling is going to get starts. Like, What do people do if they are in a deepish league where they could use some extra goalie starts? I guess you just wait till he gets announced, or is there any reason to expect him to actually get any games since there's going to be no back-to-backs over the next two weeks? Well, we've sung Darling's praises a lot of the time on the show this season, especially, and I'm not even going to reference, except I guess I am tongue-in-cheek now when you thought Scott Darling could take over the starter's job from Corey Crawford. Although, if there is a backup capable of taking on a starting role, Scott Darling would certainly be on my shortlist. And then remember when he came in to replace Corey Crawford, who was out due to injury, and then Crawford had been like single-handedly winning Chicago games to that point. We wondered if Darling could do the same, and then he did. So that was really exciting. It's been a good year for him, notwithstanding tonight's Colorado game so far, which is a result of my several sacrifices to the hockey gods over the course of the year. Um, But let's consider like going for future starts for the rest of the season. If you're looking to Darling, keep in mind Crawford has lower mileage on him than a lot of other goalies do this year. He's outside the top 20 in goalie games played, which means that we can't quite rely on the workhorse needs to rest rationale for seeing Crawford sit and Darling start. But that said, Crawford has still been busy when healthy. And anytime you send him out there, you're risking him being injured or overworked heading into the playoffs. And so I would be surprised if Darling didn't start at least two of those seven. I say, why not three? Especially since Chicago doesn't really have much control over who they play the first round, win or lose. It's likely going to be St. Louis or Nashville with Minnesota, who are presently five points back for the Central Division lead, being the team that gets the other one of those. So uh, yeah, I'll go great spot starter. Not many more starts than any other spot starter. Like if you're looking for someone to permanently house on your roster next week, I'm not sure Darling would be the guy you might instead prefer Aaron Dell, who has a chance 
of playing twice with two back-to-backs happening for San Jose. Yeah, Dell actually has two back-to-backs next week and then another back-to-back the week after. So he's someone you could maybe add, like you're saying. All right, let's go to Anaheim. Last week, we talked about how John Gibson was back, and I fear-mongered a bit, saying that what if Bernier can maybe steal some starts because he's been doing okay lately. And then Brian, like, shot me down. I was like, Elon, what are you doing? Of course Gibson's going to get all the starts. Unfortunately, like, after we recorded, but before I released the show, we, we got the news that John Gibson is injured again. He has a lower body injury. He hasn't returned yet. And at the last update, it said there was no timetable for his return. So kind of forget everything. Hopefully people knew when they were listening to the show yesterday that we just hadn't heard yet of the news that Gibson was injured again. But yeah, he's not going to be back for a while. So now we actually have to talk about Jonathan Bernier as someone that Brian has to take seriously as a potential ad for your fantasy playoffs. Bernier has won five of his last seven starts. And in both of the losses, he only let in one goal. And he has a 954 save percentage and a 1.4 goals against average over that span. So Jonathan Bernier has been so good lately. Is he a must-add if he's somehow still in free agency? Like, is he sort of like a Steve Mason? You know how you always say that Mason would be better if they just gave him a bunch of starts and he didn't have to worry about the backup or, in Bernier's case, worrying about the starter, like getting most of the starts? Or do you think that Bernier is going to revert back to blowing up your stats, having an eight-goal-against game like the one that I whined about last week and mess you up right when you need him most? Yeah, I'm not ready to say that Jonathan Bernier is Steve Mason. He is no Steve Mason. I'm definitely not sold at all on Bernier in that way, thinking he's getting starts now and so everything's going to come together. I don't think he's as good as Steve Mason in the bigger picture, although, okay, I took that too personally. I'm going to move on from the Steve Mason comparisons and I'm just going to say Jonathan Bernier, we can't count on him for a really long run of good starts, but this nice run means you could go for it, but you just still have to be careful because he is still prone to blowing up your numbers, especially just as you're getting comfy with him. It's like something has to give if Jonathan Bernier is rattling off great start after great start. And I would still prefer, if you're looking start for start, I would still prefer a start from Arendell or Scott Darling. You know, Brian, the way you're describing Jonathan Bernier sounds a lot to me like Steve Mason. Like he had that great stretch of like two or three starts. He had a shutout. Everyone got really excited about him. And then he got totally blown up by New Jersey. We'll see how he does today. But Steve Mason's not so... Anyways, I don't know why I'm talking about Steve Mason so much. Forget about him. We talk about him too much. Bernier, I, the thing is, I like Anaheim. Like I think Anaheim is a decent team. They're on a good winning streak now. So it's not only the goalie that helps contributes to good goalie numbers. So I think it's a good situation for him. If John Gibson's going to be out for the rest of the year and you would have jumped on John Gibson if he fell to free agency I feel like maybe not as good but pretty close to as good like I would definitely be jumping on Jonathan Bernier myself and of course Brian since we're on Anaheim I have to once again mention Ricard Raquel who's currently on a five game point streak and has seven goals and two assists in his last nine games you know I just feel so frustrated because I was so excited about him and then he went on that cold streak and I finally said you know what Brian you were right he's not that good I I conceded that I was going to lose our bet when I said he was going to have over a 55 point pace now I feel dumb I'm gonna have to go back and actually see maybe I could still win this bet Raquel is doing so well such a study also has three or four shots in each of his last five games so it's not just a high shooting percentage situation or maybe it is but he is taking the shots that should lead to goals obviously playing with Getzlaff is very good for him I'd say add him ASAP if you can though you probably can't and also maybe you might want to be sneaky because Anaheim actually has an interesting schedule next week they play Wednesday Friday Sunday which is amazing for off games because next week is one of those heavy schedule weeks for the Tuesday Thursday Saturday days but if you could get three off day games from a guy like Ricard Raquel or you know if he's not available look at some other Anaheim guys since we're on them I'll just mention you know like a Patrick Eves or whatever anyway I love Ricard Raquel I'm bummed that I dropped him in all the leagues that I had him in and I'm bummed that I told people on the podcast to do the same I hope you didn't listen to me and you held on 
Raquel is officially one of the NHL's 13 30 goal scorers to date. And I admit I didn't see this coming. And in fact, I barely believe it's even happened. Like how, when, where did he score these 30 goals? He's really been a guy who's either been searing hot and just piling them up or ice cold for long stretches of time. And it's really hard to equate that with a 30 goal player. You look at the list of players who've scored 30 already this year, and he's definitely been the most frustrating fantasy own of any of the top 15 to 20 goal scorers this year, though Austin Matthews is doing his best to make his case. Anyway, for Raquel, just prepare uh, for the possibility that Raquel does go cold if you're going to go out and add him. Keep in mind his nine goals have come on 35 shots over 11 games, which is actually very nice for shot counts over three per game, but still high for shooting percentage. Dave here in the chat room is reminding me how I traded him Ricard Raquel in the cupful for Ryan Suter, who's been a total bust. And I'm eliminated from the cupful for a long time now, so I don't really have to worry too much about him. But still, for those Suter owners, we'll get to him a little later in the show. I have a cold streak section. He was one of the guys I was going to bring up, but I'll, I'll say it now. Ryan Suter, he doesn't get points anymore. So that was obviously a dumb trade I made. Okay, let's go to Winnipeg. Another injury. Jacob Truba is out with a knee injury and word came out yesterday that it'll be at least another week, which is obviously the worst thing you want to hear in the fantasy hockey playoffs when there's only like two weeks left in the season that matter to you. You know, this along with his suspension a few weeks back means he hasn't gotten into many games for your fantasy playoffs. All the people who traded for him or picked him up hoping that he'd help them along the way, especially in a league that counts like hits and blocks. You know, it's been very disappointing to have him injured. But overall, we got to mention Jacob Truba because now we can look towards next year. On the year, he has 27 points in 52 games for a 43-point pace. But I think those numbers are pretty deceiving since he actually didn't get any points for his first eight games. So maybe he had to shake off the rust or whatever since he missed training camp. So if you take out those eight games, he'd have a 50-point pace, which is fantastic for a defenseman, especially if it's a defenseman that's giving you almost three shots per game and a couple of hits and a couple of blocks every game. He might be one of the top sleepers going into next year, especially for bangers and match leagues, as people might, you know, just look at the total numbers and not realize that he was injured or not realize that he had those eight games at the beginning of the year where he didn't get any points. And I'm saying maybe you don't have to worry about. So I would definitely look at Jacob Truba as a sleeper for next year. Also, Bufflin's getting older. So who knows if Truba's role just keeps on increasing. I'd imagine there's not too much fantasy impact here since when a guy who's not on the top power play gets injured, especially a defenseman, you know, there's not too many shakeups. But we should mention that Josh Morrissey has been getting the power play two time, which actually isn't so bad on a team like Winnipeg because that's worth 34% of the total power play time. So they're on the ice a good amount of time. And this unit is made up of players named Ehlers, Line, Little, and Nick Patan. So forget about Nick Patan, but you know, Josh Morrissey is playing on a power play with some really, really great players. Brian, he's another guy I haven't heard of, just like John Hayden. So I guess I could ask you the same questions. Is there anything to Josh Morrissey? Like he actually scored today. He scored the game-winning goal in the 5-4 win against Minnesota. He has five points in his last 12, 20 shots, 24 hits, 25 blocks over that span. So nothing world-beating, but definitely not bad for like a deep ad in a bangers league. Is this the pace we should expect from him moving forward, like around five points every 12 games, a little less than half point per game? Or do you expect an uptick with this increased role with Truba out? And also, who is he? Okay, so let's start with that question. Who is Josh Morrissey? Prospect watchers are probably pretty familiar with the name. He was the 13th overall pick back in 2013, and he was over a point per game player in his last two years of junior playing in the Western Hockey League. And he had some serious pedigree coming into the NHL as a top four puck mover with offensive upside. Then his first full pro year, he didn't make it to the bigs. He stayed in Manitoba. He had three goals and 19 assists for 22 points in 57 games with the Moose. And now, finally, in the NHL, he's had a pretty underwhelming showing. 
in his first year in the bigs. That said, he's still just 21 years old. He turns 22 in a week. And we do know that defensemen can take a few years longer to find their game than forward. So while you're waiting for him to find his game, you're right, Elon, in that his relevance in fantasy is mostly restricted to deeper leagues where his peripherals are going to help. And since we're on Winnipeg, Brian, there was a bold claim made on our patron-only Facebook group recently. Preston said that he thinks Ehlers will be better than Wheeler next year. And I don't even know if that's really a bold claim. But I was thinking like, wow, Nikolai Ehlers really has risen in stature in fantasy, right? Because Blake Wheeler is a guy who you think of as a really solid, like, 70-point guy, or at least he was last year, and he's, you know, doing it again this year. But, you know, it's not that bold. When you look at the stats, going into today, they both had 58 points in 71 games. They were tied, and that's good for a 67-point pace. Wheeler actually got two assists today versus Ehlers' egg. So Wheeler is ahead in that race right now, which we just decided is a race that's happening. But yes, still, Nikolai Ehlers is on a 66-point pace on the year. And in the last month, he has 11 points in 12 games. So really just taking off at a great time, obviously, for people's fantasy hockey playoffs. Brian, for sure, Nikolai Ehlers, he's 100% the real deal, right? Like a very solid bet for a 65-point floor for like years to come, or am I being too optimistic? Like, I feel like his numbers have come pretty consistently all throughout the season. He's going to be playing with great line mates for years to come, like either Wheeler or Line A or Little, you know, like lots. Oh, Shifley, of course, like a lot of great guys there. It's actually pretty funny that Ehlers' 58 points is only good for third on the team and now actually fourth on the team behind Shifley, Line A, and Blake Wheeler. So it's hard to crack the top score on Winnipeg, but that just goes to show how many points there will be to go around. I'm going to be very curious to talk to you in the summer series about how highly people should be drafting a guy like Nikolai Ehlers. Nikolai Ehlers is the real deal. 60-point guy seems pretty sure. 65-point guy, good shot. And in a really fantastic year, he looks like someone who could be capable of hitting 70. That said, I don't know I'm ready to take him over Wheeler, as Preston is. But it's not such an outlandish thing that I would shake my head at you very vigorously for doing so. A Mark Stone-like production would be my hope for Ehlers. A little more consistency. He's had some hot and cold this year. So to go through the year, but I mean, if he is attached to Liney and or Shifley, then that's even more reason to like a guy who has a lot of raw talent himself playing with some really strong teammates. Yeah, and Tino here in the chat is mentioning that Ehlers did have a stretch where he went nine games without a point. And I remember some people were asking about him, and I'm pretty sure we said on the podcast, don't let go of Ehlers, everything will be fine. I think he was still taking shots. Like, you know, all the underlying things suggested that he was going to be fine. He was just on a bit of a cold stretch, and clearly he broke out of it, like I said, basically a point per game over the last couple of weeks. Brian, you mentioned Mark Stone, so let's go to Ottawa and say he's week-to-week with his lower body injury. Word is he won't be back anytime soon. So let's probably forget about Mark Stone for the rest of the regular season, which is a shame. And we already talked about him last week. We don't have to spend too much time on the Sens. But I should mention, they got some much-needed reinforcements, some outcheries. So they lose Mark Stone, but they've gotten back Kyle Turris, Bobby Ryan, and Mark Borowiecki, who all missed some time, but they were back this week. So I don't want to spend too much time, like I said, on the Sens. But let's look at the lines they were running in their 4-3 to shootout loss to the Habs yesterday. They were going with Ryan, Zach Smith, Kyle Turris, and then Hoffman, Peugeot, and Pyatt, and then Brassard, Burroughs, and Dezingle. And then the top power play was Brassard, Hoffman, Ryan, Turris, and of course, Eric Carlson. So they are kind of spreading the talent around the top nine, like uh, Bobby Ryan and Turris on one line, then Hoffman on another, and then Brassard on another. I think 
for most of the season, those guys I just mentioned were all in the top six. So that's kind of interesting. But the top power play definitely is packing in all of the talent with Broussard, Hoffman, Ryan Turris, and Carlson. Anyways, Bobby Ryan, he has nothing in his three games since returning. Ottawa's playing today. Of course, he doesn't have any points yet. He was a snoozer a long time ago. He does have three and five shots in his last two games, so he can help you there. But it's hard to expect Bobby Ryan to put up anything more than like a half point per game pace. Maybe you'd be lucky to even get that. Kyle Turris only missed a week. And in his three games since returning, he has a goal and an assist and 12 shots on goal. I feel like, Brian, that is so Kyle Turris to get two points in three games. Is there any more reliable 60-point guy than him? Just put him out. Two of every three games, he's going to give you a point. And then Mark Borowiecki, he returned from missing almost two weeks, and he didn't show any rust at all. If you're looking at his hits, which is the only reason you would have him in fantasy, seven hits yesterday. He has 295 hits overall in just 58 games this year, which is an average of five hits per game. Like, is there anyone else you could ever think of giving you so many hits so consistently? So great if you're in a league that counts that. Uh, Who else? Okay, let's just mention, of course, Eric Carlson. Still going strong in his quest to hit 82 points again, which again is a quest that I've just made up, but I would really like to see him do it again. He's up to 65 points in 70 games after getting one goal and one assist yesterday. You can do it, Eric. You sure can, Elon. We all believe in him. I'm, I'll just touch on a couple things there. Borowiecki, absolutely, in a hits league. Great value, like worth worth a spot, worth two roster spots worth of hits. So if you can add him in a hits league, then uh, that's a very good thing for you. Very efficient use of a roster spot. And then Kyle Turris, absolutely. You can set your watch to him scoring 60 points. He's often forgotten with the very exciting Carlson and Stone and even Mike Hoffman, even Derek Broussard and Mika Zibanejad. Turris gets lost in the shuffle, but even when people were panicking through the season, it's like, no, don't worry. He's going to get close to 60, maybe 55, probably like 58, but he's got a really, really, really good shot at hitting 60 yet again. And of course, here he is. Okay, and then I'll rattle off a couple other injuries I just found out about today. So Yannick Hansen was injured yesterday. If you guys don't remember, he plays on San Jose now, and he was playing on the top line with the Joes. Not that it matters. He only has one assist in his six games with the Sharks. But of course, at least it used to be the case that whenever someone new got on the top line playing with Thornton and Pavelski, that was worth mentioning on the show. Hurdle was on the line yesterday after Hansen's injury. But I imagine we shouldn't get too excited since he was there before and wasn't doing anything. So until we actually see Hurdle put up some production, I wouldn't get too excited about him. But I'll mention it for those of you who are keeping track at home. Also, Timo Meyer was called back up today. So maybe he'll be the one put on the top line. He was there before for a little bit earlier this year. I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? Am I right, Brian? Like, is there any reason to want a guy playing with the Joes this year until we see someone do something with it. Who knows who cares generally sums it up as nobody has been able to offer much fantasy relevance from that spot in the lineup. I'm more interested in Timo Meyer up there than I am Thomas Hurdle. So that's as far as I'll go in saying, ah, I'll watch Meyer instead of just expecting a half point per game from Hurdle. You know, like just this time last year, people were really excited about Thomas Hurdle. He was a guy that was probably owned in most fantasy leagues. So what a change a year makes. I still see Hurdle as being a guy who could produce at some point in the right situation. Like he's shown he has the talent, but clearly this year things aren't working for him. So I'm not adding him to my fantasy team until I see him get a couple of games in a row getting a point. One more injury I'll mention. Jamie Benn on Dallas had an injury scare, but it looks like he's fine. But now it's looking like Jason Spezza is going to be out tomorrow with back spasms. So... Dallas is having some trouble getting healthy. I guess it's worth watching, as always, who plays with Ben and or Sagan if you're looking for a deep spot star. We don't have any info yet about what the lines are going to be. Dallas is kind of a train wreck right now. I don't know if you'd want to invest too much in any of those guys. But worth noting, if you have Spezza, throw him in your IR or maybe just drop him if you know you don't expect 
I mean, yeah, actually, just drop him. Like, really, like, are you going to hold him? If you can't sash him in IR, I'd say drop him because what's the reason to hold a day-to-day Spezza hoping he'll get back for games this week when you don't even know if he'll be able to get points when he does come back? Anyway, Brian, do you want to say anything about the Dallas Stars? Well, especially if Spezza has been bouncing between free agency and rosters for the last month or so anyway, then, yeah, you don't need to hang on to him and hope for anything special if he's burning a roster spot indefinitely. Day-to-day is the worst. Yeah, that's why IR Plus, or like in the Kakuffle, we just have four IR spots on Fantrax, and they give us the option to say that anyone with a flag, any injury at all, even like if they're away with their wife having a baby, you're allowed to put the player in your IR. So yeah, it's really frustrating when you have an injured guy that you can't stash, you have to make that tough decision of whether to hold him and burn a spot or let him go. I think with Spezza, you could let him go. We've still got a bunch of outjuries to talk about and then hot streaks and cold streaks. We want to give you a bunch of people to consider adding to your team for the next week. Before we get to all of that, let's thank the sponsors for this week's episode of the podcast. Those are our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, that's the best place to go and buy tickets. If you want to get tickets to a hockey game or a show or a concert, you could just load up the app, you make a couple of taps, and you're finding the prices for your tickets. They're getting sorted for you by value. So not only can you sort by price, but you could sort by value. They know how much these seats normally go for. And then they will tell you, oh, this is actually a really good deal. You should buy the seat or stay away. I don't think you should buy this seat because it's more than it's usually sold for. So they do all the hard work for you. They even tell you the final price before you get to checkout. So you don't have to worry about, is there going to be any added service charges? You guys know what other ticket sites I'm talking about with those added service charges. So you should definitely check out SeatGeek, and you can even get an additional $20 off your first purchase. Brian, why don't you tell our listeners how they can do that? It's pretty easy. Anyone could do it. You could just download the app, or you can go to the website, and then when you're ready to make a purchase, enter the promo code KEEPING, and SeatGeek and we will... Actually, no, I'm not going to take credit for it. SeatGeek will reward you with a $20 rebate once your purchase has gone through You'll get that check in the mail like six to eight weeks later. And then think about how great a time you had at the event. Thanks to SeatGeek. Yes, that's offer code KEEPING. Ryan here in the chat is saying he bought a seat and there was a geek in it. So there you go. Check it out. That's SeatGeek. Brian, I was actually wondering, I was watching Homeland just earlier today, the second most recent episode, I think. And they were at a New York Islanders game. Like there was a plot point where two of the characters met at a game. It was clearly an Islanders game. I didn't catch who they were playing. I wonder if that was a real game. I wonder how they get these seats and how they film people while they're at a game. I don't know, the magic of television. I wonder if they buy their tickets with SeatGeek. Okay, that was just pointless rambling. Brian clearly has no interest in responding. So let's get to outjuries and talk about Patrick Hornquist, who's back for the Penguins. But it seems to be at the cost of Genny Malkin being out with a minor shoulder injury after blocking a shot. For some reason, why Evgeny Malkin is sprawling on the ice to block a shot? Like, I have no idea. But anyways, great news for Hornquist owners because he's had a really nice return. He came back on Friday versus New Jersey and he had an assist in that game and four shots on goal and five hits. And then he scored today and also took two shots on goal and threw a couple of hits. Here are the lines as they're being rolled out with Hornquist back and Malkin out. So they're going Gensel, Crosby, and Cheery, and then Hornquist, Kessel, and Matt Cullen, and then like boring guys on the bottom six that aren't worth owning. So if I didn't mention a forward on Pittsburgh right now, then that means you definitely need to drop that guy. Overall, Hornquist has had a pretty disappointing season with only a 53-point pace, but I assume we're expecting a better pace for the rest of the season, right? Like, he's in the top six, playing with Phil Kessel, and he's on the top power play. Like, I've always thought of him as more of a 60-point guy, at least. So this 53-point pace, I feel like is not sustainable, especially if he's giving you shots. I feel like you have to add Patrick Hornquist or roll with him. I guess you probably already have him. Really, the guy we need to be talking about, again, 
And if you didn't listen to us last week and grab him, like this is your fault. I hope you grab Jake Gensel because he had such an amazing week. After three assists on all of Crosby's three goals today, he ended the week with a goal and five assists in four games. If somehow Jake Gensel is still available in free agency for you, you have to add him. He was a must-add last week. I hope you got him. Yeah, if you didn't get him, it's too late now. Everybody has noticed what Gensel, Crosby, and Shearing are doing right now. They're fast, they're dynamic, and they're lovable, dare I say. How can you not love the idea of a generational talent nearing 30 playing not with other established scorers, not with other established plugs or hangers-on, but with one first and one second-year pro who each have some real offensive upside and spark in their game. Such a blast. They've just been destroying opposition lines. And actually, there's some people are just putting it into all sorts of visuals and articles right now. It's an exciting time to read just how dominant this line has been, way more dominant than other lines you might have considered dominant this season. And then going to Hornquist, same old song for Hornquist. We've tackled this a couple times already on the podcast, and I don't know why he's not putting up points that would be consistent with both his career production and also the production of contemporaries with similar underlying numbers. This has been a riddle for us, especially over the last few months. I love the guy, but the season has just been straight up disappointing. There has been underlying improvement on his numbers from last year's also disappointing 51-point campaign in which I swore he was snake-bitten, but there's no overlying improvement which is, of course, what we're hoping for when we own him on our fantasy teams. And part of this lack of improvement in his actual numbers that'll show up in your fantasy categories is because while his rate stats have improved, he's actually averaging one minute less of ice time per game, so a little less time to do what he does. In any case, he's going to be a really interesting guy to rank going into drafts next year. And then my final comment on Pittsburgh, Elon, is just Malkin. Man, the guy had safely blocked 24 shots this season pushed his luck by blocking number 25. Yeah, apparently Dave is saying in the chat room that he said in an interview, no more blocks, which is good. I think Malkin owners would definitely appreciate that. They didn't draft you for your blocks. Okay, I remember, Brian, remember when we were kind of getting stressed out that Eric Carlson was blocking so many shots? Seems like he's able to do it and not sustain injury, you know, knock on wood that that will continue. Maybe he knows how to do it a lot better than Evgeny Malkin knows. Also on Pittsburgh, so yeah, obviously I'm not going to laud Connor Sheary again like I did Gensel, but, you know, Sheary, obviously he also had three assists on Crosby's goals. Now he's on the top power play because Malkin is injured, so... He's been amazing and definitely the best free agent ad for a lot of people. Like Patty was mentioning in our patron-only Facebook group today that Connor Sheary is her best ad. She was asking, who are people's best free agent ads of the year? I brought up hashtag Timo Rensky, but if I feel like if I would have added Connor Sheary, maybe he would be even better. I don't know. That one is close. Also, take a look at Matt Cullen for the short term while Malkin is out. Like I said, he's on the second line with Hornquist and Kessel, and he's actually got an assist in each of the last two games. So, he might be a guy if you're in a deep league and you want to add a guy just for a spot start. You could do a lot worse than having the guy playing with Hornquist and Kessel in Matt Cullen. Next outjury I wanted to bring up, Andre Burakovsky had a big return for the Capitals versus Tampa Bay yesterday. After having been out since February 9th, he had an assist and seven shots on goal. And he's been a guy who I haven't been too interested in this year because he's been in the bottom six on Washington. Yesterday, it looks like he spent some time on line three with Connolly and Lars Eller. But he also spent some time on the line with Kuznetsov and Justin Williams. And if Burakovsky can stay with Evgeny Kuznetsov, I feel like he all of a sudden becomes interesting. Brian, don't you remember last year... When at the end of the season, Andre Burkowski was a much added guy for a lot of people's fantasy hockey playoffs. He was playing with Kuznetsov and getting a lot of points. I wonder, can he do it again? Maybe. 
I don't think so, actually. That was the optimistic angle. I didn't want to seem like such a downer right off the bat. I think he could. Don't get me wrong. If he plays on the second line with Kuznetsov, I think he could. He was really great for me down the stretch last year. One of the reasons I was able to win my Cup full division. But the problem is that he does seem pretty settled into his third line role. He got that bump up on the depth chart last game because Marcus Johansson left after playing just three minutes and somehow collecting an assist in his last game because he was feeling sick. And so I imagine Burakovsky goes back to playing on the third line with a healthy top six, even if Marcus Johansson doesn't seem like the guy who'd want on the second line because of his inconsistent sort of play to date and his barely over half point per game pace there. So uh, yeah, that's the long answer to my short maybe, but no. Okay, that's fair. I guess, yeah, if it's just because Johansson was injured and that's why Burkowski got into the top six, then that's not obviously something that will be sustainable if it's just like an illness. Hey, if you're looking for a spot start and you're eyeing Burkowski because of that great seven-shot game, at least take a look at the pregame skate line combinations and see if he's playing with Kuznetsov because it's a lot easier to take shots on goal when you're getting primo feeds from Kuznetsov. And I know that's the second time this podcast I've said primo. I'm going to stop. I guess I listened to too much stream scheme. And by the way, Brian... Did you know that there's a guy leading the Washington Capitals in goals and his name is not Alexander Ovechkin? Oh, that wasn't a rhetorical question. Um, Yes. But did you know only because you saw it in my preparation for this episode? I've been keeping up with the leading goal scorers in Washington. (laughs) I wonder if we could go through every team and see if you could name the leading goal scorer on each team. That would be a fun summer series podcast, a little quiz. Okay, I'm up for it, but not now. Okay, so yeah, after yesterday's hat-trick, the new leading goal scorer on the Washington Capitals is TJ Oshie. He has 29 goals in 58 games compared to Ovechkin's 28 goals in 71 games. What? What is happening? What what world are we living in? This Ovechkin story is really depressing me. Why is he not scoring more goals? But okay, we already talked about Ovechkin a lot last week. Let's talk about TJ Oshie who is having a career year. This is a guy who's had a pretty decent career already, but he's up to 49 points in 58 games for a 69-point pace, which would be his career high because his previous career high is only 60 points. Also, the 29 goals he has already has beaten his career high of 26, which he scored last year. I assume this must be like a high shooting percentage situation, or is there something different about TJ Oshie's game this season that has led him to be a 30-goal scorer? Yeah, you hit it on the nose. He leads the league in shooting percentage. TJ Oshie has scored on nearly a quarter of the shots he's taken. And also further illustrating like this huge uptick in goals that we probably didn't see coming. His goal scoring rates have soared this year. His goals for per 60 minutes rate is just about double his previous high mark from the past six seasons. Yet, His shooting rates have actually declined. He's presently posting the second lowest shots per 60 mark of his career. All of this equals a guy you should watch get drafted at least a round or two before you're willing to take him yourself. The scoring bump you'd expect from playing on that Capitals top line is a real thing, but this is too high. TJ Oshie is not a 30-goal scorer wherever he is unless he significantly ups his shot rates, which he hasn't this year. They've declined. So let other people make that mistake in September. But for now, enjoy the ride if you have him and hope that you don't play against him in fantasy. A bit of Eskin owners are really, really mad. That's so unfair. Yeah, I mean... The guy who I beat this week in our league, Brian, he has Ovechkin. And I'm sure if Ovechkin was playing like Ovechkin, our matchup would be a little bit closer. Patty's saying here in the chat that Ovi is resting for the playoffs. So maybe that's the case. But that doesn't help you for fantasy because he's not resting for the fantasy playoffs. That's for sure. 
that's also really good advice. You know, that's going to be the thing. You have to be the wet blanket when you're talking about guys who had amazing breakout seasons because going into next year, obviously Oshi is going to get drafted higher than he was drafted this year. And the question is, should you be the guy who drafts him higher? Brian is saying no. And obviously we'll talk more about that in our summer series, which we're promoting a lot. By the way, what we do in the summer, we're still going to be doing episodes all throughout the summer. One episode every couple of weeks where we'll be talking about all the players from this season that interested us and that we think had production that was outside of what we normally see from them. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But let's focus on now, the here and now in our fantasy hockey playoffs. Let's go to Boston. Ryan Spooner returned to the Bruins on Wednesday after he missed three games with a concussion. He's been back for two games now. He's picked up an assist in each of those games. The most recent being a power play assist versus Edmonton on Thursday in that crazy what was it, a 7-4 win for Boston? Or maybe a 7-4 win for Edmonton, actually. Anyway, I've already talked about throughout the season, I like Ryan Spooner. Like, for a third liner, you know, he plays on the top power play, a really good situation. I feel like if he's in your free agency and you're in a deepish league, he's someone I would consider spot starting while he's on that top power play. Of course, this bumps David Krejci from that top power play, and I really like that spot for him, but unfortunately that didn't last for him. But doesn't seem like it's bothering him too much. He's still scored a power play goal in that game versus Edmonton, and he has six points in his last five games. So he is doing just fine. And Brian, obviously people want to hear your thoughts on Ryan Spooner, or maybe not because you've already said it every single week, but can we talk about how far Tuka Rask has fallen? He had such a solid start to the year, and we all got excited about how the old Tuka was back because he didn't have like such a great season last year. And so we were like, wow, Tuka Rask, he's like one of the most valuable goalies in all of fantasy, but his season has totally fallen apart he has just an 891 save percentage over the last couple of months which is 20 games he's down to a 912 save percentage on the season which puts him at 25th in the league for save percentage for goalies who have played at least 30 games mike smith and ryan miller are examples of goalies who are ahead of tuka rask in save percentage this year in tier one of the keeping carlson ultimate patron fan tracks league tuka rask was dropped by a team that got frustrated with him and there was a lot of discussion in the facebook group for that league about oh i wonder how much he's going to go for and i commented i don't know if you should be bidding on tuka rask he might just be a guy who would blow up your numbers am i wrong to think that at this point i see rask in a category with mike smith or ryan miller or maybe he's like a little bit better maybe in a category of guys like Jimmy Howard and Steve Mason and James Reimer, guys that we talked about last week and tried to rank. Where do you see Rask for the rest of the season? Is he still the Tuka Rask that we expect really solid numbers from, a guy that you should be drafting really high? Or is he just another stumbling starting goalie that you should be afraid to even start in most games? We made a lot of noise at the start of the season. Well, first, we finally, or at least I finally, came to peace with the idea that Rask was no longer a reliably elite goalie. And then Rask made a lot of noise when he came out so strong out of the gates, which got me excited because even though I said I wasn't really counting on him for great starts, I was still hoping. Like, I really like the guy. I've been a big fan of his over the course of his career. But uh, then again, we're looking at him now. His performance in the long run has only given more weight to our preseason assessment. It's actually been a very Lungfist-like swing for him. And I should clarify, a 2016-17 Lungfist-like swing for him. As he's put up very few average starts, but very many fantastic outings and very many dreadful outings as well. But he remains on track for by far the worst even strength save percentage of his career. Last year, he barely made it within the top 20 goalies in that category. This year, he's in the same spot, ranked 19th in the league in even strength save percentage. And I think Rask has fallen further than he should over the last little while. Like, I still think he's a better goalie than Jimmy Howard. And I think, you know, going by the other goalies you mentioned, I still think he could be better than Ryan Miller and Mike Smith 
And James Reimer and Steve Mason might be good comparables for what I expect from him going forward. Uh, But if you're choosing between all of them right now, the team he plays for in Boston makes it easier to choose Rask of that group if you're looking for someone for the rest of your playoffs. The Bruins have won seven of their last ten, making them one of the hotter teams in the league to date. And then, Elon, you tried to spare everyone the Spooner talk. I'm going to go back to it. He does definitely deserve something for being like he's a candidate right for the most mentions for 60 in this season of keeping carlson Ooh, and we re- that's a stat i would love for someone to track for us yeah that would be really really interesting steve mason would definitely be up there so would ryan spooner though and we've rarely had much new to say about him every time we bring him up it's just like oh could this be a time is this a time where you should stream him and then i thought maybe a turning point for a season where he could have significantly more value to you was when claude julian was dismissed, but under the new bench boss, Bruce Cassidy, Spooner hasn't seen any increase in ice time or expected goals for per 60 minutes. And Spooner's actually seen a decrease in his shooting rates. The only improvement for Spooner has been a small uptick in his power play ice time per game. And the good news about that is that he is getting a bigger chunk of the Bruins power play ice time pie. Like it looks Like, it's not just that there's more to go around over the last 13 games since the coaching change, but that he is actually getting some more of that. So, I don't know. There's the silver lining for Ryan Spooner. The coaching change did not lie to fire under him. Uh, The Bruins are still doing well, despite Rask's inconsistency. So, uh, I don't know. I guess I jumped back to Rask. So, I'm going to say Rask could still be good for spot starts. Really unfortunate that he's blowing it so badly, but I don't think he's as bad as he's looked for the last little while. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Let's now change gears. Let's brighten the mood here and talk about some players on hot streaks. Let's go to Carolina first. Everyone was so excited going into this week about their big five-game week, and they're actually playing their fifth game of the week right now against Philly. The score is currently 2-1 to one for Philly. Carolina got the goal from Jeff Skinner, who's had an amazing week, by the way, and it was assisted by Tara Vinen and Hannafin. Anyway, like we talked about so many guys, Brian, that we were ranking and trying to decide who should you add from Carolina if you want to get all of these games. I feel like overall they haven't disappointed. Like whoever you got, got you at least a couple of points, especially because they had that big eight to four win versus the Islanders to start the week. I think Brian said Aho first of all the guys, and I said Rask, and that was all the forwards on Carolina, not named Jeff Skinner. So far, Skinner has five points and actually make that six after his goal today. Lindholm four, Stahl four, Stepniak four, Hannafin three, Aho two, uh, Victor Rask two, Toivo Teravainen two, and you think like two points in five games, that's just a pointing but two points in a week when generally teams only play like three games in a week that's Kyle Turris numbers right there so that's why it's worth picking up a guy playing in a lot of games during a week because even if they get just like two points that's still something for you the big winner of the week though so far has looked like Jacob Slavin who scored three goals and assist in that first game versus the Islanders which caused his Yahoo ownership to skyrocket and then of course I found it very funny that he got no points in his next two games and I saw his Yahoo ownership plummet and then he got two assists yesterday in the 4-2 win over Nashville so Slavin he's a guy he was actually on a decent run before like he had I think a four game point streak before a couple of games off before that three goal and one assist game he's been a guy that we've talked about on and off throughout the season even last season he's a guy also that gives you some blocks so he had three four and two blocks in each of his last three games and it seems like he's bumped Noah Hannafin from the second power play Hannafin was the second power play guy obviously Falk was on PP1 but in the last couple of games 
Jacob Slavin took that job. I guess he earned it when he's going to score all these goals and get all these points. The coach says, hey, let's put him on the power play, see if he could do it there. Brian, I brought up Slavin last week when we were talking about all these Carolina guys, and you didn't seem too into him, which, you know, is fair. But are you feeling the same about him at this point and just chalking all of these points up to, like, lucky breaks? Or is he someone people should now be jumping on? Maybe he's back in free agency, or maybe no one picked him up, you know, because he had that great game, but then had a couple quiet games. He's definitely someone that's on my radar now. Should he be? Like, is Jacob Slavin any different to you now than he was a week ago? I don't feel like Jacob Slavin is any better offensively today than he was a week ago. That was a really bad Professor Frank impression. I'm not going to try to do that again. Uh, Anyway, Slavin plays huge minutes and Carolina has been scoring some goals. So there is still some just marginal offensive value there because of the minutes he plays. And yeah, I know his recent offense sure is tempting. I don't think it changes anything about the kind of player he is, but it certainly does make him preferable if you compare him to a chunk of other depth D-men putting up similar peripherals in that case, I would give some preferential treatment to Slavin, but otherwise, no, I'm not counting on another, like he scored three goals on three shots. I wonder what would have happened if he took a fourth. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't try. And actually three shots in a game was a lot for Jacob Slavin. So that was just an insane game. Obviously when your team wins eight to four, there's going to be a lot of weird things going on. I agree with you, Brian. Like, and if you're not going to agree though, to jump on Jacob Slavin, Aside from maybe as a depth add, if you need someone, and yeah, like you're saying, he has shown that he can put up some points, which is nice to know for a guy who you're adding mainly for maybe peripherals. I wonder what you're going to say about your favorite goalie, Eddie Lack, who I have no idea why he's not playing today. Carolina went back to Cam Ward. I don't think they want to win. And like I said, they're losing right now. Not surprising. But yeah, after Cam Ward warded it up in those two games against the Islanders to start the week, Eddie Lack came in and got a 3-1 win versus Minnesota on Thursday, 4-2 win yesterday versus Nashville. That gives Lack three wins in his last four starts, all of which have been quality starts. So he's on a nice little roll. He's your favorite goalie. I don't know why Cam Ward is playing today when they could be putting in Eddie Lack. Is there any chance, though, after today? Because maybe because it was a back-to-back, they don't want to tire out Eddie Lack, who's been injured for a lot of the year. Is there any chance that Lack could finally bump Cam Ward, at least for the rest of this season, and be the fantasy playoffs MVP that you've always dreamed he can be for the people who decide to roll the dice on him? Carolina, you know, next week they have a boring schedule compared to what they did this week, only Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But then they end... Most people's fantasy hockey playoffs the following week with another five-game week. So you could get a lot of games probably from Eddie Lack, even if he doesn't take the job. But I wonder if for next week, maybe he'll get like two of the three games. Very interested to know your take on your favorite goalie, Eddie Lack. Eddie Lack has been the better goalie since he returned from his most recent injury. He was out with a concussion for a bit. That seemed to happen from a practice or like totally out of the blue. He just went on IR one day and stayed there for a while. But since returning and actually beginning to play regularly, he's posted a 4-2-1 record with a 9.29 save percentage. Meanwhile, since mid-December, Kim Ward is 14-3-5 with an 8.93 save percentage. So I know who I want to be my goalie going forward. I know it was the second half of a back-to-back, but if Kim Ward gives you an 8.93 on nights where he is rested, I don't know that you could expect much worse from a tired Eddie Lack. Mind you, and I say all this with a you know, keeping in mind that Cam Ward started off the year so fantastically. But I think Eddie Lack has been a better goalie over the last few years for longer stretches. Like I've seen more in Eddie Lack over the last two years than having Cam Ward to make me think he's going to be a better goalie. Does he have MVP potential for you? Yes, he does. Eddie Lack could be your fantasy MVP 
but I wouldn't put all your eggs in that basket. You got to stay on your toes with this guy. He is still just getting off like a few starts where this has worked. Like I said, there's the caveat that Kim Ward was able to do the same thing. So we can't buy in completely to Eddie Lack, but working in his favor is that Carolina has never been better for as long as he's been on the team as they are now. And he's rarely played this regularly. So those are two reasons to believe that maybe this time he can keep up at least playing league average hockey. That's all he needs to be to be a really great addition to your fantasy team over your playoffs. And another player who made some noise in the Monday and Tuesday Carolina New York Islanders slobber knockers was Joshua Hosang, who had a goal and an assist in each of those games. We were asked a few times on Twitter if people should add him. And I said I wanted to see him doing something against not Cam Ward first before jumping on Joshua Hosang. And sure enough, he's had zero points and zero shots in the two games since. So, you know, not to brag, but Brian, can we safely tell people that if they jumped on him after those two good games, that they can safely drop him now and he's not going to be like a point per game guy for the rest of the season? Yes, you can safely drop Josh Hosang. Although I did read today that Isles fans are cheering every time he touches the puck. I bet management didn't see that coming. We'll see if they still like him, if this cold streak does continue. But it has been nice to see him break into the NHL after a really difficult path there, have some success, become a fan favorite, and hopefully he can stick. Okay, and then last week we talked about Braden Point's opportunity on the top line in power play with Tyler Johnson injured. And, you know, I'm doing a bit of a recap of what we talked about last week. But also, you know, these guys are still potentially relevant for you. And, man, Braden Point has delivered for the people who decided to take a chance on him, as we suggested you might want to do. He had two goals, one on the power play on Monday at the Rangers, then a goal versus Ottawa on Tuesday, then nothing versus Toronto on Thursday, but then two assists, including one on the power play yesterday versus Washington. He also had three shots on goal in each of those four games. So a huge week for Braden Point. I hope you had him. I didn't, unfortunately. But like I said, I've made it through in both of my leagues. But I wonder if maybe I've lost my chance to have him. I think he's been added, Brian, in at least our joint league. Anyway, last week we said he's worth taking a shot on with this opportunity, but we wouldn't go so far as to say he's a must-add. Has your opinion changed now? Is Braden Point now a guy you have to add as clearly he's clicking on a line and power play with Nikita Kucherov? I'd be curious to know who you would take between Braden Point and, say, a Nick Schmaltz. I think I'd go Braden Point. He had a really exciting start to this run, and it's still exciting as the shots keep coming and the other Lightning centermen are still injured. So as long as that situation holds, I will take Braden Point over Nick Schmaltz for both his shots and his shot, his actual shot. He's looked really good. He's an exciting player to watch, and that's reason enough. If he fits into your roster, he's a great depth add for your fantasy team this week. Yeah, keep him in mind. I'm actually really curious now to see what Tampa's schedule is this week. I'm bringing it up as we speak. Uh, Only a Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So it is three games and four nights, but those Tuesday and Thursday are both very busy days. So check to see if he'd even get on your roster. But if you could grab him on Tuesday and get three games and four nights from him, maybe you'll get at least a couple of points. I like his situation a lot. Okay, remember also... Brian, that recently we said you could forget about Thomas Vanek in Florida because he was on the third line and on the second power play. Well, of course, he promptly put up four assists in Florida's 7-2 route of the Leafs on Tuesday, and then he had an assist in each of his last two games. And, you know, if you take a closer look, the line three that he's on is with Nick Bjugstad and Jonathan Marcheseau, which are two pretty good players. And the second power play that he's on is with Jokinen and Trocek, Riley Smith and Jason Demers. So it's not actually a bad situation 
if you look at Florida's last game, that second power play, or what looks to be the second power play, the one without Barkov, actually had more ice time than the top power play. As it looks, obviously, I think they only had like one power play, so that's probably just happened to do with who was on the ice at the time. Anyway, I'm not sure I'm recommending to jump on Thomas Vanek right now, but obviously we have to call out when we get something wrong. And obviously, if anyone decided to hold on to him, they were rewarded, and anyone who dropped him was probably a little disappointed, especially if their matchup was very close in assists. Clearly, like Vanek, he's still Thomas Vanek, right? He could put up points like he had been doing all season with Detroit. He has the capability. He has the talent. Not in the best situation, but still maybe not someone to completely toss off like we suggested. He could be potentially a good spot starter or a good ad if Detroit has a couple of games and a couple of nights, which I believe they do to start next week. But actually, I just realized that I said Detroit, even though he plays for Florida, and Florida only plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday of next week. So maybe you're not going to want to grab him, but I wanted to mention him. Brian, I think we've talked about Florida enough. Do you have any update on who you like best of like potential Florida spot start options? There's so many Florida guys available in free agency in our leagues. Like I see Vanek, Jokinen, Riley Smith, Yager has been dropped in both of our leagues. Marcia so sometimes sticks around. Aside from Barkov, Huberdeau, Trocek, who, who are you liking right now? Marcheseau is still the guy I like a lot. He's still been steady, so he's still my next choice. Uh, Thomas Vanek, yeah, I'm sorry to anyone who dropped him. We certainly didn't see that coming. That was like a difference-making night. Hopefully you can't hear the smile on my face. That's a nervous smile. I really, really hope we didn't make anyone uh, make a decision that wrecked their fantasy season. But I don't think uh, my rankings of the Panthers change on the whole. Like, Vanek is still someone I'm not overly excited about. Uh, the one thing that I will mention is Yager has finally started putting up points again. Nothing too special. Two goals, two assists for four points in his last five games with pretty meh shot numbers to go with him. But what he's doing is enough for me to now want him over Riley Smith. So the three guys you mentioned, then Marcheseau, then Yager, then it's Smith, Jokinen, Vanek all rolled up into a ball. I still have Vanek at the bottom, but his big game potential sure is tempting now. Yeah, I believe to start the season, Vanek had a really big game when he started with Detroit. So bookends at this point, but let's see if he could give us another one before the end of the season. Okay, Brian, let's talk about some surging D-men. People always want to grab some defensemen. First, I'll say someone who's definitely not available in any of your leagues, but we got to mention hashtag Team Wierenski is on fire again. His two assists yesterday extended his point streak to five games in which he put up seven points, but then Columbus played again today and he had zero points. And that's the end of the point streak, but still... A great run for Zach Wierenski, who's now up to 46 points in 71 games, which is a 53-point pace. What a rookie year. I feel like that would be a Calder-winning rookie year a couple of years ago. But now he definitely has some stiff competition for that. But it'll be really fun to rank him amongst other D-men during the summer series. Zach Wierenski, just we told you at the beginning to add him. I hope you did. There was a moment, maybe around a month ago, where I was starting to waver. He was on a bit of a cold streak. I was like, oh, maybe he's not going to be. And then he actually got bumped for the top power play for like a game or two. But he's back. He's doing great. Love, Zach Wierenski. Let's be fair. It was kind of a long moment where he wasn't doing well. It is great to see him back. Interesting to see if he gets nominated for the Calder Trophy. How about this, Elon? By the way... Did you remember or realize or whatever that also Calder eligible this year? Matt Murray. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, I still think it's going to be Matthews or Line, but still, maybe he gets a nomination. This will definitely be a year where it will be an honor just to get nominated for that award. By the way, on Columbus, Wenberg was out today with a stiff neck, and that led to some interesting line combinations. They were going Josh Anderson, Dubinsky, and Jenner, Atkinson, Gagne, and Saad, and then Bjorkstrand, who's doing really well. Hopefully you added him when we told you to. Bjorkstrand, Felino, and William Carlson. 
Uh, but anyway, you know, probably not worth obsessing over these lines as I normally do, since a stiff neck doesn't seem too serious and Wenberg will probably be back and then things will go back to how they normally are. I'm still liking Bjorkstrand, by the way, for a depth ad if he's available to you. Columbus, by the way, they clinched the playoffs today. So good for them. Obviously, it's been a very surprising and impressive season for the Blue Jackets. Okay, another rookie, Brian, someone who probably is available to people in free agency. And you texted me sometime this week saying, make sure to mention Jacob Chikrin on the podcast. So yeah, Jacob Chikrin on Arizona is making some noise. He scored a goal and two assists in a game versus New Jersey a couple of weeks ago. And now he has like five points in his last five games. He had six shots yesterday, the 3 nothing loss to St. Louis, and he also had three hits and two blocks in that game and 21 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time and getting second unit power play time for whatever that's worth, you know, on Arizona. But still, a guy who's giving shots, putting up some points. Is there any chance we can expect a few points here and there to go with solid peripherals from Jacob Chikrin for the rest of the season? Like maybe if you were comparing him to like a Jacob Slavin, I'd be curious to know who you would add in a league that counts various peripherals and also who you would add just if you're looking at straight up points. Like was he someone going into the season that people thought was going to be a point producing defenseman? Chikrin is my preferred Jacob between him and Slavin. Dare I say that the 18-year-old native of Boca Raton, Florida is the most desirable defenseman in Arizona right now. In his last five games, beyond those five points that he scored, Shikrin's got 18 shots, 11 hits, eight blocks. He's seen the most consistently high ice time of his year, having spent nearly 22 minutes on the ice in the Coyotes' most recent game, which is the most he's seen since the start of November. So there's great bangers in match value there. Plus, I think a little more scoring upside than with Slavin, although he is seeing less minutes. On a nightly basis, maybe he can do a little more with them. Who is this guy, by the way, Elon? I'm surprised you didn't ask. Maybe you know already. He was drafted 16th overall in this past year's draft with the pick that Detroit sent over to Arizona as a thank you for taking on Pavel Datsuk's contract. And if you look at teams that could use a quality defenseman, Detroit is one of them. Uh, Anyway, the scouting reports on Shikrin have him as a rising two-way defensive star with a fantastic toolbox. And if he continues to impress, maybe he makes a dent in the future expectations of someone like Anthony D'Angelo. Also a little biographical note, son of former NHLer Jeff Shikrin, for anyone who played any of the NHL video games back in the early 90s, like the first editions, Jeff Shikrin was in them. And he's also the nephew of Luke Richardson, and he turns 19 on the 31st of the month. Happy early birthday, Jacob Shikrin. Oh, that's nice. Though it is kind of sad how you said that maybe Chikrin is the defenseman you'd want the most on Arizona. Yeah, really, we got to twist the knife here. But Oliver ekman Larson, he's pointless in eight games. Ugh, sad. It's sad. Okay. Uh, another guy that I think has been kind of left for dead in fantasy, but is finally putting up some points. Morgan Riley. He's making noise again after a long, long, quiet stretch. He has two goals and two assists in his last five games. 14 shots on goal in that span. In fact, yesterday versus Chicago, he had zero points, but took five shots through six hits, which he rarely does, and he blocked three shots. So it was a great overall game for Morgan Riley, even though he didn't get on the score sheets. I feel like most people have forgotten about him as he's lost all of his potential power play time to Jake Gardner and Zaitsev. But do you still like his potential for points? Like, I remember, Brian, you used to talk about Morgan Riley as the defenseman you'd want the most on Toronto. I'm pretty sure he was drafted in a lot of leagues. I'm sure you would have drafted him. So I'm curious to know what you think about his potential. Like, Toronto has a nice schedule coming up. They play Monday and Wednesday of next week. So maybe if you listen to this podcast and you want to add a defenseman for those two off-day games, do you think that Morgan Riley is someone that you should consider adding if he's been dropped as a free agent in your league? He doesn't get the power play time, but he's clearly still capable of giving you shots and points. Yeah, I definitely think Riley is talented, 
but the absence of that power play role means that his upside is limited as a result. He's a free agent in our joint league, Elon. I wonder if we'll have a bidding war over him. Should I survive the week? I'm not going to say if I have any interest in him, potentially. Do you care to comment? I mean, those Monday-Wednesday games sure do look tempting. And if he could give shots on goal, that's a nice way to start a fantasy matchup, getting some points. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll bid on him. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll bid $11 on him, but only if I know you're going to take him. So speaking of free agent defensemen who might be available to pick up, we have Matt Dumba, who people were really high on going into the year and then kind of forgot about, just like Morgan Riley, right? But now Dumba's on a nice run of two goals and three assists in his last seven games. Minnesota played today and he didn't get any points. But obviously the difference between Dumba and Riley is that Dumba is on the top power play, along with Stahl and Niederreiter and, and Hansel, which you know aren't actually the most exciting guys. There's some other exciting guys over in Minnesota. Man, like, yeah, it's been Dumba and Suter on that top power play. Suter doesn't do anything. I can't believe that, like, Jared Spurgeon and Matt Dumba have been consistently getting more points than Ryan Suter recently. But anyways, I'm veering off. Let's talk about Dumba quickly. He's been a rare bright spot on the wild lately as they've been struggling for the first time I can't remember, like all year, like all of a sudden, things are not looking good for the Wild. They've lost five in a row after their 5-4 loss today to Winnipeg. And aside from today, and then they also had a 7-4 win versus Florida a couple weeks ago, they've had less than two goals in six of their last eight games. So normally they're not scoring a lot, and that's causing a lot of our favorite guys. It wasn't too long ago that we were saying that you want to basically have everyone on Minnesota in like the top nine. All of a sudden, we're seeing that most people aren't getting points. All of a sudden, I'm wondering if you need to be dropping a lot of these guys. If you take a look in their last nine games, Eric Stahl has eight points. He's good. Granlin has seven points. So he's good. And you got Dumba with five points, but in only six games, he missed a couple with illness. So he's been really good. Then all of a sudden, we're getting to like Koivu and Parise. They both have five points in their last nine games. So still, you know, reasonable. But then, you know, once we get below those guys, you got Charlie Coyle, four points in his last nine games. He scored today, which was good, but he's getting less than 15 minutes of ice time recently, which is concerning. Then Pominville, Suter, Zucker, Hansel, they each have three points over this stretch. And Pominville was actually healthy scratched today. And then Nino Niederreiter, only two points in his last nine games. So I am wondering, Brian, can all of these Minnesota guys, except for like maybe Stahl and Granlund and maybe Koivu and Parise, can they be like cycled out at this point? If, you know, Minnesota's not playing and you see a more enticing option in free agency, like especially Coyle and Pominville and Niederreiter and Zucker, are they all snoozers? Like even in a deepish league, I wonder if Ryan Suter is a snoozer. Like I feel like he should be on the chopping block if you have some interesting defensemen available or if maybe you could do the move of dropping a defenseman for a forward because it works for your schedule. I'm concerned about a lot of these Minnesota guys and I'll even let you talk about that before we talk about the biggest concern on the wild. Yeah, you're right to think about cycling these guys out. We're at the point in the season where keeping a player who isn't producing at a 50-point pace at least is not necessarily worth keeping if you're in a tight race and there's no future to look to. Like, you can't wait for someone to recover. So in that case, yeah, beyond Stahl and Granlund, I don't know. Like, Dumba interests me. Koivu still interests me. And Parisi has actually scored points two games in a row now, which is a really big accomplishment for him (laughs) this season. Aside from those names, I'm not sure anyone is worth keeping. Jason Pominville, what a fall back to earth. He was a point-per-game player for like five weeks from January through to February. There was the bye week, then he had the mumps, and then he's come back, done nothing, got scratched. So if you have him, he is definitely someone you need to drop. And before I continue, quick update from the Chicago game. Schmaltz and John Hayden both have two assists. 
So, you know, just more evidence from what we said earlier that you might want to take a look at those guys. But okay, since we're on Minnesota, the guy that I'm really concerned about is Devin Dubnik, who hasn't been immune to these Minnesota struggles. He now has an 883 save percentage over his last nine games. Just horrible numbers. I wonder if he's responsible for some people being knocked out of their fantasy playoffs this week, especially with this horrible 5-4 loss today to the Jets, which is unthinkable, right? He's been the rock. He's been the reason most people got into the playoffs, and now he's going to be the reason they get knocked out just horrible like I don't even know what to ask like he's been so bad over his last nine games like is he the type of guy now that owners should be concerned about starting until they see him play a good game and show signs of bouncing back like is he a concern now is he like a Tuka Rask no he's not a concern that way I think he's still a really good goalie and Rask part of the concern with him was injury history and how he wasn't really able to get his game back after having like I think it was a hip injury or knee or I can't remember offhand but Dubnik has not had a similar situation. This is just like a downswing, I think, for him. Mind you, he's not like a 930 goalie for the rest of his career. He's probably in the 920s. That would be great. Uh, That's quite a bit above average. And that's what you can hope for going forward. I wouldn't get too down on him. It is interesting, Elon. He played both ends of this back-to-back when they could have gone to Darcy Kemper. Maybe the Wild felt like they were on too big a slide to leave it to Kemper. It didn't work, though. He gave up four goals pretty quickly in the game, and they ended up losing 5-4 after clawing their way back. So, uh, yeah, tough times for Dubnik. Really bad time for him to let you down after he's probably carried you through the whole season, but I wouldn't get rid of him just yet. Or at all. What do I mean just yet? I wouldn't get rid of him, period. Full stop. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are considering him as one of their for sure keepers going into next year. And I wonder if some people now are going to be questioning themselves. Well, I guess we'll talk about in the summer series if his stock drops because of this really slow run over the past couple of weeks. Okay, a couple other cold streaks to get to to end the show. We have Jacob Voracek, who only has one assist in his last four games. And actually, Philly's playing today against Carolina. And yeah. Nothing for Voracek so far. So the cold streak continues. Also concerning, he's been off the top power play the last couple of games versus Pittsburgh and New Jersey. The Flyers were going with Giroux, Shen, Simmons, Ghost Bear, and Provorov, two defensemen. Provorov, great news for him, right? So first of all, Voracek, like what's going on with him? We've been getting questions on Facebook if he can be dropped in shallower leagues. You know, we weren't expecting this. He's supposed to be a guy that you drafted early and expected huge, consistent production from. What is going on with Jacob Voracek? Like, why was he knocked off the top power play? I don't know. Why does anything happen the way it does in Philadelphia is often the question I ask when you ask me, why is some? Why is this happening? Why is this guy moved? Why is Michael Neuverth playing? Uh, Jacob Voracek, you know, I still think he's a great player and I still think he doesn't deserve quite the bad season he's having. He has a very low shooting percentage. His teammates aren't helping themselves. They also have low shooting percentages while they're on the ice with Voracek. And Voracek is also fighting this weird thing. We have a crazy low power play shooting percentage over the last two years. Over the three years prior to these past two years, he had shooting percentages with the man advantage of 15%, 10%, and 15%. Over the last two years, those numbers have been 1%. And 5%. So uh, usually you can expect a player, especially someone who's such a fantastic scorer as Voracek, to score on more of his shots, especially with the main advantage. That hasn't been happening, although you also have to need to mention his teammates are doing just fine at scoring on the main advantage. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I can't tell exactly what's happening with him. If you look at what's happening while he's on the ice back at even strength again, there are fewer shots for 
compared to the past years where he's been really prolific. So maybe it's time to start winding down your expectations for Voracek. He'll be someone we definitely consider downgrading from elite status this summer. Oh yeah, that's always a fun episode we do where we talk about players who we used to think were elite and now we think are not. Voracek definitely seems to fit the bill. But like I said, great news for even Provorov. He had a power play assist versus Pittsburgh on Wednesday. Nothing on Thursday, but he had two shots on goal. And before Wednesday, he was on a nine-game scoreless streak. So he might be available to stream in your league because people may have dropped him if they got tired of him, especially in a non-keeper league because obviously he has a lot of potential in a dynasty league. Actually, Provorov scored today which is great. So yeah, I'm not sure yet if he's been still getting the, I guess I could check actually and see if Provorov's still getting lots of power play time today or if Voracek got it back. Let's see here. Provorov. Yeah, he's got a minute of power play time. Everything's looking good for Ivan Provorov right now. I feel like he's definitely a guy I would want to add. I probably would want to add him over some of these other guys like Dumba and Morgan Riley and Chikrin. Uh, I like Provorov a lot right now. And especially, like like I said, like in a dynasty league or in a keeper league, he's definitely someone you're going to want to consider for next year. As you recall, Ghost Bear found himself off the top power play a few times during this year. He's there right now and doing well, but I wonder for next year what Provorov is going to be able to do. He's definitely a really exciting prospect, and he's on a great run right now and in a great situation. Yeah, he sure is. And Ghost Bear, we know we've talked about the trials and tribulations of his this season. Even though he's looked really good, the numbers haven't been there on the score sheet at least. So we'll see who gets to be the favorite going into next year. Although, you know, my running theory is that the Flyers need a coaching change and that could happen in the off season. So it could be a fresh slate going into training camp in September. Okay. And then here's a couple of guys. I don't even know if I'm going to call them cold streaks. I might just call them straight up snoozers. I want to talk about Sam Reinhardt, who is pointless in three games now. And in his last game, he was playing with Molson and Justin Bailey and only had 13 minutes and seven seconds of ice time. So I don't know what's going on with Sam Reinhardt. He's supposed to be with Eichel. Like, is he being punished for something? I'd say if he's not going to be with Eichel moving forward, or like Ryan O'Reilly, he's definitely a snoozer. So if you're a Sam Reinhardt owner, this is definitely something you have to watch Tyler Ennis actually got the prime spot online one with both Eichel and O'Reilly who were playing together. So I feel like Ennis, even though he's gotten nothing to show for it yet, he's someone you need to watch if he's going to stick on that line. I don't know if I'd rush to grab him. Who knows how long this will last, but I'm curious to know what's going on with Sam Reinhardt. Can he safely be dropped? I, I blew it, right? Like I really thought this year when Eichel started the year injured, I thought you need to hold on to Sam Reinhardt because he's going to be playing with Eichel. And he's going to have a monster year. He had good runs here and there, but overall hasn't really lived up to my expectations. So yeah, it might be time to let go of Reinhardt. It is time to let go of Reinhardt. How much half point per game production do you need to see before you start hoping for more? I I guess it's underselling him a bit. He has 43 points in 70 games, but he hasn't been what you hoped for through the season. And for the same reason, I wouldn't get too into Tyler Ennis right now. Like, yeah, he's in a good spot in the lineup for the time being, but he's been in good spots several times over in his career and hasn't quite made the most of it. I'm not sure he's any better than Sam Reinhardt is, which would imply or make you think that he's not going to do any more with that time than Sam Reinhardt did. So um, for now, you can, I think you can safely let go of Reinhardt, but maybe keep an eye on him in case he gets hot. Like we have seen some little runs where he's been relevant. He is someone who has the ability to score. He is better than a half point per game, which does put him ahead of a lot of free agents in deep leagues. But for now, if you're looking for more offense, you might want to try and roll with someone hotter and in a better situation, but not Tyler Ennis. 
Okay, not Tyler Ennis, but I would definitely take like a Nick Schmaltz over a Sam Reinhardt right now. He's rolling. I don't know about John Hayden, but he's even rolling and doing well better than Sam Reinhardt. So I don't know. Like also, uh, by the way, with O'Reilly and Eichel playing on the same line, that leaves Evander Kane on a boring line as well with Zemzis Gergensens and Brian Gianta. But, you know, even though Kane is now pointless in three himself, he's still taking a bunch of shots. So I'm not too worried about him. I don't have him in the Sam Reinhardt level just yet. But maybe something to watch as well. But I think Evander Kane is going to be fine. But I would like him better if he was playing with Eichel or O'Reilly. And then the for sure snoozer, Brian, Gabriel Landeskog. He played today. I'm sure he did nothing. Colorado ended up losing 6-3 to Chicago. And Landeskog, no goals, no assists, two shots. His last game, he had no goals, no assists, no shots. Matt Duchesne, I already said, was a snoozer a while back. I don't think I was ready to fully say that about Landeskog. But here it is. He's playing with equally useless Duchesne and Rene Bork. Brian, why do I still have Gabriel Landeskog on my team in the league where we're against each other? It's a keep 10 league. I'm pretty sure when I drafted him, I assumed he was going to be a keeper of mine, but he's so bad. He's hurt. I somehow made it through this playoff matchup, even though he didn't give me anything, but I don't know if I could keep him for a matchup against you if you can make it through because like Landeskog is, is totally a plug. Like He's completely useless to me. Yeah, this has been a lost season for Landeskog. And you just wonder, like, you know, you look at the really terrible seasons that teams have had in recent memory. Like, you think back to the Buffalo Sabres or Arizona or even Toronto, and you wonder where the Avalanche fit in because none of those teams had the talent that the Avalanche do and just could not make it work. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Landis Cog. We've talked about him before as someone who seems to be bucking the pattern of being a young prospect who starts well and is able to maintain or improve upon that. He's actually declined in his shot rates in his time with the Avalanche. And I don't know if that's because of his own skill level or his deployment. It's hard to tease the two apart with how big a mess things are in Colorado. I would love a change of scenery for him. I think that would do wonders. I would love a coaching change or like organizational change in Colorado. Like I don't know how many pieces need to be taken out of that front office and replaced for that team to have a fighting chance in the future. I just know for now, for the rest of the season, I'm not big on him. And you are in a really tough spot trying to hold on to him for his keeper value, potentially when you're still fighting to win the league because he's not going to help you do that. Yeah, I I don't think he's even worth keeping at this point in a keep 10. Like, I'd be very, like, I feel like even if I thought he was, I like maybe would be smarter to not say it and then get him in the draft. I don't think people are going to be rushing to grab him with the numbers he's put up this year. Uh, Brian, you wanted, before we end the show, you told me you want to talk about some Detroit guys. You texted me and said, Larkin and Athanasiu, do you have them in the dock? So uh, here they are. Like, actually, there's a couple other Detroit guys I wanted to mention. First, Nyquist, we talked about last week as saying he's in a really good situation since he came back from injury playing with Zetterberg and Tatar. And then he had a couple scoreless games. A couple of people in the Facebook group were like, ah, forget about this Nyquist. He sucks. And then he ended up getting a goal and an assist in his last game he played, though that was against Colorado. But I still like him. And Tatar is actually also on a great run. He has nine points in his last seven games over the past couple of weeks. And yeah, Zetterberg is still rolling. And then like you say, Brian, Dylan Larkin has six points in his last seven games. And Athanasiu has five points in his last seven. So there's a lot of production coming out of Detroit. They have a decent schedule next week. Do you think that some of these guys should be on people's radars to maybe add if they are looking for an extra skater in their semifinal matchup. Well, yeah, that's why I texted you to make sure they were included on the show. Way to steal all of my thunder. You already gave their numbers. I'll go back and say Dylan Larkin over the last eight games has eight points, three goals, five assists, 19 shots 
including a seven shot game. So that's probably uh, the reason for a lot of those 19 shots. You still can't count on him for big shots on goal numbers. But anyway, that helps if you happen to have him. And he's also seeing like he and Athanasiu saw a lot of time two games ago against Arizona. Uh, Athanasiu saw almost 20 minutes. Larkin did see 20 minutes. And that was a really high watermark for both of them. Like Athanasiu has only touched 19 minutes one other time this season. And the rest of the time he's at like 13, 14 minutes over his latest run where he has two goals, three assists for five points in his last five games. He is actually averaging just over 15 minutes. So watch for that ice time to keep up for him. He's a guy who, by all accounts, is very talented. And we've pumped his tires on the show too. But he seems to get kneecapped by his coach often, not getting good deployment, not getting enough minutes. When he is given scoring opportunities, I think he's someone who can take advantage of them. Think like Anthony Mantha, the same sort of things we've been saying about him. Athanasiu is probably just as good perhaps even better. I'd love to see more of them in scoring roles, which I hope is what the rest of the year will be for in Detroit since they don't have much else to play for. Keep an eye on either of those guys if they're available in your leagues for a spot start or even for a little longer. If Athanasio keeps getting good deployment, I could see him being one of the more valuable free agents available to you. Okay, well, let me make it hard on you, Brian. Detroit does have a good schedule next week. Like I said, they play Monday, Tuesday, and then Friday, Sunday. So they've got three off-day games, and then Tuesday against Montreal. So maybe bench him against Carey Price. But still, yeah, good schedule for the Red Wings. Who would you like? Like, obviously, we talked about Nyquist and Tatar last week, and now you're bringing up Athanasiu and Larkin. Like, how would you rank these guys? If they're all four of them are probably available to a lot of people in some leagues, maybe Nyquist and Tatar are already taken, in which case they'd still have to choose between Athanasiu and Dylan Larkin. But can you just give a quick ranking of the four off the top of your head? I'll go Nyquist, Athanasiu, Larkin, and Tatar. And don't ask me for much justification i can't give you any clearly since i bounced between lines and you think if like two of those guys are going to score then the third has a pretty good shot uh, it's a pretty even landscape in detroit but athanasio is one of the more fun guys to watch and nyquist probably has some of the better scoring acumen among the group which is why i've got them at the top two there ah, i think tatar is pretty fun and he has eight points in his last five games so i would definitely have it nyquist tatar then maybe Athanasiu and Larkin, and I'll have Athanasiu above Larkin, sure. Uh, okay, Brian, since you got annoyed at me for stealing your thunder before, I know there were a couple other guys you wanted to bring up as potential snoozers, so why don't you take it away and end the show with these guys? Okay, first off, Tanner Pearson, and like for the run that he had, I don't know if it's fair to say that he's a snoozer, and he's actually, his shot numbers are still great. 21 shots over his last six games, so averaging more than three shots per game, still seeing good ice time, but he has only one point and assist in those six games. And it came on the power play. So nothing at even strength for his last six games. So uh, I don't know if you're waiting on him and your league doesn't count shots or you don't need them. Maybe he's someone you can cycle out if he was the sort of guy that you cycled in when he was hot. And the other snoozer, I'm going to call him a snoozer. UC Saros has been pretty bad lately. A lot of us, looked at his first eight starts where he had a 9.57 and saw Rini starting to crumble and said, okay, put him on your roster. He'll get the occasional start. And he has, like he gets one out of every three or four games and that'll be good enough. Like Nashville's a pretty good team and he's there. But over his last 10 games, he's a 9.02 goalie with a lot of dud performances and only one real standout performance, two above average performances, but the rest have been below average, not even 
average. So it's been a rough little run for Yuzusaro since the middle slash end of January. So keep that in mind. If you've just been rolling him into your lineup and like had him and enjoyed having him for a spot start every now and then, there might be better options in free agency who might play less often, but who might be able to put up better numbers for you. Okay, yeah, I'm with you with Saro. Still like a good team and I wouldn't, you know, it's like, any of these spot starts, like there's a reason why these guys aren't starters in the league. And we were saying like, Nashville, why don't you make Saros your starter? Rene's not good. But Rene, obviously, he's a starting goal in the NHL for a reason. He's able to bounce back from bad starts. Maybe he has the perseverance or the, what was the word that Stefan Wolchenko used? Resilience. Resilience, yes. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. Maybe it's harder for Saros once he gets a few more games. Still, obviously, a very good prospect. And I expect him to be mentioned many times on Keeping Carlson for years to come. And let's go back to what you said about Tanner Pearson. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I'll even add to that that I was excited about him, especially because he was on the top power play with Carter and Kopitar. But it looks like he's been bumped. Tyler Toffoli is back. So maybe I screwed some people over by saying that they should definitely dump Tyler Toffoli as a snoozer because he actually has four points in his last four games. And he's back on the top power play. He's been doing pretty well. So, yeah, I guess uh, just because, you know, like for me, I feel like when someone is not getting points and their situation has changed, if they're off the top power play or not on a good line, that's when I get concerned about them. And I say maybe it's time to move on, but there's always the possibility that they'll just get back into that good situation. And then you kind of have to forget everything that I said. That's the case with Tyler Toffoli. So yeah, I definitely would now want Toffoli over Tanner Pearson. And I know, Brian, I made fun of you before when you said you would want that and then it didn't turn out to be the case. But obviously that's why you are the question answerer on this podcast and I am the question asker. If, by the way, any of you out there are question askers, you can ask us questions on Twitter. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd be happy to help. We know it's a stressful time right now in your fantasy hockey playoffs. So tweet at us with your, you know, urgent spot start, ad drop types of questions, and we'll try to get back to you in time. And speaking of Twitter, Elon, before we close out the show, it's time to pay our respects for the fantasy hockey teams that have been eliminated to date from their fantasy playoffs. Our own are amongst them. Hopefully only one each. And uh, yeah, we th- this is our yearly tradition where we take a moment to reflect on what we've lost over the last couple of weeks. So uh, we have a list from Twitter. We have a list from our patrons. Elon, let's start on Twitter. Sure. Okay. So yeah, we're really sorry about these people and their teams that got eliminated. Better luck next year. Let's give them one final tribute. I'll start no longer eighth. Who actually finished eighth. As the story goes, Vladimir Teria Stinkhole. Halifax Highlanders. Bieksa and I Know It. Brent Burns When I Pee. Somewhat related, Feel the Bernier. <laughs> All right, then on Facebook, the Flamingos, Brian's um, Tier 1 Cupful team. Well, you didn't comment, so I'm going to say, Vora, check out my mixtape, your Cupful team. So sad. Uh, I, I commented, they're further down. Oh. Lochi's Lovers. <laughs> Sticks out for Harambe, which is pretty good. The Werewolves. Newfoundland Screechers. Oh, something related to what we already did. Burns, baby, burns. All dried up. That's sad. Oh, like dry, like dry side. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hotline Cling. I love seeing all these. T- oh, no, that was just a comment. Uh, <laughs> Brooklyn Islanders. Super Nintendo Sagan Genesis. That's a Goldies. reach. That's a reach. <laughs> Zach. You, you didn't need the Super Nintendo part. You could have just called him Sagan Genesis. It would have been better, I think. 
Goldie's goons. Now I'm trying to think of another Dallas Stars player or some player that you could put instead of the Super <laughs> Nintendo part. Spezza Nintendo. Spezza Nintendo Sega. Oh, okay. Spezza Lindelno. Okay. Beef Squatch. <laughs> <laughs> Illegal Muzzin Ban. Oh, I just got that as I said it. Hopefully that's not a contemporary reference for long. Golan Crazy UK. Filthy Animal. From my Cup Fold Division. The Montreal Freemick Brothers and the Triple F Gold Club. Oh, man. Fabrice lost two teams. Sorry, Fabrice. I know the feeling. Not yet, though. Uh, Van Badgers. Wait, wait a humble brag there. <laughs> <laughs> I've been stalling on this. Char is in charge, which is accompanied by a fantastic team logo that we shared on Twitter earlier this season. No longer with us. <laughs> Coco for Cocoa Puffs. It's pronounced Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> okay, sorry. How Wait, many more are there? That's one case. Okay, let's let's roll through them. Uh, I've been stalling. I said this. that one. Oh. Al Raka Desert Knights. Pyongyang Pigs. Oh, that's Patty's team. Benino Royale. Mike and Ikes. Ike like Eichel. Oh, Jack to the Future. Who's Mike like? I guess there's lots of Mikes in the league. Who's your favorite Mike in the NHL, Brian? <laughs> Hoffman? Yes. <laughs> okay. The Big Stinky. Oh, you must have changed that partway through the year. <laughs> <laughs> right. A show, a show reference. Yannick, just going to shout you out. Your team lost. <laughs> E.C. Pareko. I'd probably pronounce E.C.C.E. Pareko. I don't, I don't get it, but Ian's really smart, so it's a shame that his team lost. And from the top tier of the cupful, Sam, bow ties are cool. Are no more. But are they still cool? Were they ever cool? Well, they might have become cool if you could have won, but you couldn't do it. That's a shame. Getting eliminated from your fantasy season really sucks when you worked so hard, but... Like I said, we're going to have a whole summer series where we're going to give you tips and advice on how to draft and how to improve so that you can win next year. To all of you who are still in your leagues, good luck. We hope that you have a really great week next week. We hope that we've given you some advice that will help you. Like I said, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd always appreciate it. If you're interested in becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, you could sign up just for one month for the last month of the season. You could get advice from all of the patrons for your fantasy playoffs and also join us for our monthly patron cast, which will be a week from Wednesday. And we answer all the questions from the patrons. So if you're interested in that, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But okay, with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go and read us the credits? Huh. Did, did Jonathan Quick really get pulled? Oh, no. Oh, no. We'll just read the credits and then we'll... Uh, oh, no. Let's read the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World and fan tracks and I'm so mad that Jonathan Quick just got pulled <laughs> yeah I was gonna say that was Brian trying to sound excited while he's dying inside you might get eliminated oh my god so much drama great job as always Brian and thanks everyone for listening we'll catch you all next week 8pm Sunday night keepingcarlson.com slash live until then keep on keeping Carlson <laughs>